Hello, and welcome to this BMA audio feature. In this recording, we will be talking with two doctors who have been faced with surprisingly tough visa requirements for the elderly parents. Dr. Kamal Sidhu is a GP in County Durham, and Dr. Irfan Ekta is a consultant surgeon in Mansfield. First of all, Kamal, for a bit of background, tell us about your journey to the UK and what the situation is with your parents. So I was born in India, and after I did my medical school training over there, I um, looked at opportunities, and and I quite liked the the kind of pace of life in England at the time. And um, also there was huge opportunities opening up. You were seeing advertisements placed into the national newspapers that NHS was recruiting, and they needed doctors to come in and work in UK. So I thought I will give that a go. I set the exams for international students to be able to come over to UK at the time, flap one and two, along with the English screening exam. And after that, I came into UK. I actually came in 2003 to do my exams. And at the time, there was lots of influx of doctors from overseas, particularly the Indian subcontinent. And it was getting quite saturated, so it was taking a long time for people to get into jobs. And finally, in February 2005 is when I started my first job, which was my GP training in the Northern Deanery. And then we got married in 2005, so my wife was able to join me as a dependent. But my parents were were left behind at the time. My parents are on their own uh, and they live in north of India and we're quite attached as a family. I've got two children and they are quite attached to them. They talk to them very often and we try and go to India as often as we can to be able to see them and spend some time because I feel that particularly my children miss on having that quality time with their grandparents. So we try and make at least one trip a year. And then my parents try to come over in the summer on a visitor basis, which is quite restrictive. But at least at the moment, they're able to join us for those few weeks in the summer. You've been thinking about bringing your parents over to the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So obviously they're getting older and my father was working initially and he's retired now. So they're on their own. They're quite socially isolated. And of course, they would like to be with their grandchildren or at least be closer to them to be able to spend time with us and with the family. And I feel that I have an obligation to be able to be with them when and if they need me. You know, they've invested all their lives into us, into our education, into looking after us. And there's possibly a cultural element into it that families in the Asian culture particularly tend to stay quite close together. And hence they do feel, and I feel, and my children feel that we need to be together as a family, which really I think is a basic human right. And as time goes by, their their health needs, their, their needs um, in terms of getting some help on daily basis and how they live will need more input from me. And I I feel that we are incomplete as a family. And I feel torn between the two countries because I would ideally I would quite like to be where they have the ability to come and stay with us for as long as they want. 
and for as long as they need, which isn't possible in the current immigration system. The visa Kamal's parents would need to relocate to the UK is called an adult dependent relative visa. Irfan, you've already had the experience of applying for an ADR visa for your mother. Can you tell us about your journey to the UK and what led you to apply for that visa? So my journey is kind of in two sections, so to say. I I was born here, but because of my family, I had to go back to Pakistan. I did my graduation there, and then to do my post-graduation, I moved back to UK in 2004. And I've been working since that time uh, during training and then subsequently as a consultant. My wife is a GP and my kids are in the university now and uh, I have a boy and a girl very attached to their grandma. When I was in Pakistan, we used to live together there too, so they had a very good relation. My mother herself is a doctor and uh, in fact has been working for NHS uh, in her early years. And uh, my dad uh, used to work uh, for military uh, and my mom was here, and so they worked in NHS back in the 60s. And after that, they decided to move back to Pakistan at that stage. So, so she has her initial training here, and then subsequently came back again uh, in early 90s to do her post-graduation here also, and then uh, went back again. I think the kids were growing back home at that stage, uh, and uh, both of them wanted to be around the family and raise the family, as uh, perhaps any parents would. And she has been uh, doing very well down there and there weren't any concerns till she retired and she was uh, living by herself. My dad is not alive anymore, managing life pretty okay. And then gradually, over the last 10 years or so, her age-related issues starting to surface more prominently than they were before. And she started struggling to manage uh, herself. And at that time, she would come to UK for some time to meet the family, but became to a stage that traveling was not an option either. So we, the family kept going, but it was soon very clear that it wasn't enough and it wasn't safe. That tried to find ways and means to help her out locally, because that is where her structure was. She used to live in the house for such a long time and her friends and support service was there. The issue in Pakistan is that the social care part of the package which all people need doesn't exist. It wasn't long that uh, it became clear that that support which she had was A, dwindling and B, wasn't enough as things progressed and time went past to take care of her in a safe way. And that was the time around 2015-ish that we decided that uh, she needs uh, full-time support. And that is when I started working on the ADRVs and, uh, you know, contacting many solicitors to facilitate that. And it wasn't long before it was done that it's not going to be an easy task to do that. ADR visas were not always so difficult to obtain. 
Kamal, can you tell me a little bit about the changes in the rules in recent years and their impact? Yes, so um, there's a history of that the rules have gone through various changes after every few years. And often, sadly, they get applied in a retrospective manner. So I personally had to apply for my own immigration status to be extended, changed, confirmed multiple number of times. And um, eventually, I got British citizenship after about eight years of that. When I decided to come to UK to work here and adopt UK as my home, the rules were quite flexible and I would have been able to bring my parents over to join and live with us. In 2012, I suspect with some of the public demands and some of the populist approaches from the political powers, there were some changes made to the adult dependent relative rules, which now make it extremely difficult. So you have to justify that they are completely dependent on you and dependent to the extent that it is not possible for you to provide them the care in the home country, even by employing carers in your home country. So just before 2012, the number of applicants under this particular system was around about 2,400. And after the rules were introduced, the applications fell to just 162. And that's a massive drop. So Home Office itself did a review in 2016, and these figures are from their own review. And I think that has two reasons. One, the rules are so difficult and so rigid that it is simply impossible to be successful And many of these applications that were successful were actually rejected in the initial stages. And then the applicants had to go to the court to prove that their parents are essentially prisoners in their own houses and that they really aren't able to live with dignity or care. And the second reason I think the number of applications has gone so significantly down is because the rigidity of the system is acting as a deterrent for people to even think about going through this route. Most people are simply put off because if they try through that route, then they also lose their ability to bring their parents as a visitor during that period. Essentially, requirements for the visitor visa and the ADA rules are opposite to each other. In the visitor visa rules, you have to explain that they are fully independent, whereas in the adult dependent relative rules, you're only able to apply if they're dependent on you. And this process is quite long and often the initial outcomes are unsuccessful. And then vast majority of the applications have to go to court. So you can imagine that this is a process that lasts for years, not weeks or months. And during that period, I wouldn't be able to see my parents. I wouldn't be able to see them even as a visitor. So this is the dilemma. I've heard so many harrowing stories of colleagues who have been the victims of this very rigid system. I often hear colleagues who have to suddenly take leave from their work and go back to their home countries and be there for their parents. I can particularly recall a colleague who really went through a very, very difficult time, who lost one of his parents last year. And then his other parent had a stroke and he was really very distressed with all that was going on. Of course, having to ask for 
leave multiple number of times from his workplace, which again does cause a degree of disruption and does rely on the goodwill of colleagues and, and the system, and then leave his family and children behind to travel in emergencies, trying to arrange the care over there, which isn't easy to find, isn't a sector that's particularly well-regulated. And even with some care in place, you can see the worry he has about whether they're being well looked after or not, and whether they're receiving the care, and whether they're living with the dignity that they deserve to live with. And the dilemmas he went through, and he kind of come to a state sometimes where you regret making decisions that, why did I ever come to UK? And this is a highly qualified professional who is a very committed consultant and has worked on the system for many years now. His wife is also a committed NHS professional. Uh, That just doesn't seem fair or humane in any way. And there are so many, so many stories. I mean, we say stories, they're not really stories. They're actually real events, distressing events that have happened to people for real. You know, people having lost their parents, not been able to visit them, even to say the final goodbyes. And that should simply not be acceptable. If it wouldn't be acceptable for a British citizen, why is it acceptable for us who are also British citizens? Erfin, you've actually gone through the process, including having to appeal after the Home Office rejected your mother's application. At one point, you were even considering leaving your job in the NHS and moving to Europe, Australia, or even back to Pakistan. Tell me about the visa application process. What was it like? So to say the least is that the bar of providing evidence is so high and it is close to impossible to fill in all the blanks which you need to qualify for that visa now given the new changes and for an ordinary person to fulfill that is extremely extremely difficult onerous and at times i I was frustrated that it was almost uh, close to impossible for me to do that to give you an idea it took me more than six months just to gather the evidence which I could. So the three things is that the applicant, by virtue of health, of ailment or frailty, is not able to either bathe or eat or shower or change clothes. Only then get into uh, an eligible criteria. Now, that is a such a difficult thing to prove that somebody cannot bathe or eat or change clothes. Even if you try to prove that, then the question arises that can you arrange somebody to do that for you? Now, as I said, the social care doesn't exist in third world countries and parents and all members of the family are looked after, become dependent to live with the younger family members. And in my mother's case, there wasn't anybody to take care of her. And to prove it, it wasn't easy. And then the fact that the life as such is not about eating, having a shower and changing clothes. The life of an old person, or for that matter, any person, is far more than that. So it was a big shock for me that the reasons 
which were uh, cited in for refusal uh, it looked very frivolous to me and perhaps not even correct uh, and that was supported subsequently in that the hearing when I went for my appeal but once rejected the burden of proof then again come back to the applicant and it was uh, it was a very depressing time because I could not think of anything more which I could provide or which I could obtain uh, other than which I had already uh, given in my first application. So it was a very, very stressful time for me, but I had to go through because I didn't have any chance otherwise. So the appeal process is a, is a long process. It almost took me a year and a half to get to uh, my hearing, during which I tried to add more evidence of which I could think of. For example, you need to prove that there is no health facility which uh, exists in the parent country that could be accepted. Now, that task alone was such a difficult one to prove because whilst there are hospitals, there is simply no concept of old age care in those countries. So there wasn't anyone as a government representative to write down that there is nothing which exists in this country uh, which will take care of people uh, in their homes or in these social settings other than when they come to the hospital. So these are very small examples which you have to provide and may or may not be approved by the Home Office. On a similar note, I had to provide the uh, salaries of the servants which I was using to take care of the old person. And the system as it runs in uh, many third world countries is that the salaries are not through pay slips and it is a cash society. It is almost possible to prove that you had somebody who was taking care for that many hours and then to prove that their qualifications do not match to what is required. So these kind of little things which may not be a difficult thing in NHS or like UK, because there are means and there are ways you can obtain that, but in several countries it was uh, very, very difficult. It was uh, a challenge for us, uh, you know, to understand the complexity of this uh, visa process when we went through it. For example, if your parents require somehow and if you have money uh, then provide that up there and if you say you don't have money then the counter arguments come that why would you bring her here if you don't have money so uh, it is a no-win kind of a situation so it was the end of 2017 when we finished with the repeal and finally the visa was granted it took about two years during which uh, you know my mother's health and the concerns i had multiplied uh, many folds. Thankfully, your mother's visa was eventually granted. What has life been like for your family since then? So we are very close to each other and uh, that kind of bond has rekindled, so to say. The kids have grown, so they go out for walks together, they you know eat together, taking care of her and, uh, and the little things which happen every day in the home. Helping her out with little chores, uh, which she needs help with. And 
for the last one year, for example, because the universities are now distant learning. So they're home and, you know, it is even better now in many ways. They're much more attached and uh, and you could see that in the way it has affected the mood of my mother. She's much more lively and interactive and, you know, spirited. So we feel more secure. We feel more confident as a family unit. And I feel much fresh and I am I can't concentrate on my job without any concern in the background in my mind, which was all the time haunting me before. It almost appears like a big burden on my shoulders has now been lifted. The kind of situation Irfan had to go through is not unique. And both him and Kamal are part of a task force that has been looking into the impact of the Home Office's policy around adult-dependent relatives. Kamal, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So the task force at the moment is comprised of three organisations. You've got BAPU, which is British Association of Physicians of Indian Origin. You've got APNE, which is Association of Pakistani Physicians of Northern Europe. And then fortunately, we also got support from the British Medical Association. So the three organisations are essentially working together and we are hoping to raise the issue, raise the awareness through the media and to approach the Home Secretary and ask for a flexibility in the rules. We also have uh, legal input into that task group from a very well-known barrister, Ms. Sood, who is advising us on the legalities. She has a great insight into the, the issues, but also has supported many of these applicants who've come through the system over the last few years and we're hoping to campaign for change because it does need to change. And in August 2020, BAPU and APNE did a survey which captured nearly 1,000 responses and the results were quite shocking. More than 90% of the people who responded felt anxious, stressed and helpless because of this issue. About 60% felt that this had an adverse impact on their work and professionalism. And many had to make emergency trips because of issues arising with their parents. Some were not even to make those emergency trips because of work commitments, because they couldn't get time off or for whatever reason. And I can't dread to imagine the impact that would have had it on their mental health for not being able to go and see their parents, not being able to say goodbye. I mean, we've seen this happening in this country during the pandemic. You know, we've seen the elderly and vulnerable of our society were isolated from their families and how people were unable to say goodbyes to their relatives in the hospitals because of COVID restrictions. We live in similar state, but a state that has existed before the pandemic that continues to exist it feels like an indefinite lockdown for us. You live in this state of anxiety and stress. You don't know when the phone's going to ring. You don't know when you, you'll get the news that something's gone wrong with your parents. And you, you hope that would never happen. But we know that it will happen. And we know that it is happening to so many of our colleagues. So there is an element of the anxiety that comes with it and an element of feeling incomplete and not feeling at home. 
and not feeling settled. And then, of course, that has an impact on your work. The disruption it causes to your work commitments, for example, if you're having to make a family trip on an emergency, the impact it would have on the routers within your work atmosphere, the impact it has on the direct clinical care because of that disruption. And then there are many people who have not come to UK because of the immigration rules. I know of some very talented colleagues who have chosen to go to, say, for example, the United States or Australia or Canada because their immigration system is much more humane. It recognizes the need that you as a family have to be complete with your grandparents because we believe that no family is complete without the grandparents. The survey also picked up that 85% have thought about relocating from UK because of these reasons. And we have seen some of these stories come out in the national media as well, where they're having to relocate because they can't bring their elderly parents over. And there are so many who've moved and nobody's measuring that loss. Nobody's measuring that loss of that talent and professional capital. Nobody's measuring that loss of the money spent on their training, for example, and the economic loss to the taxpayer that happens as a result of that at a time when we are struggling to find doctors. And it is predicted that we will have around about 250,000 vacancies in the next 10 years. And at this critical juncture, what we are seeing is that the doctors who are already here aren't being valued. The NHS workforce isn't being valued. When I talk about this issue at my work, people are often shocked that really, are you not able to bring your parents to live with you? And I think it's important that our colleagues recognize that these are the dilemmas we face. These are the issues we face. So I think one aim of this task force is to create awareness about the issue. There is a new immigration system, a points-based system that's being implemented soon. And we're hoping that in this process of change, the government will recognize the adverse impact, the benefits of making the change, and recognize that it's actually very small numbers. I think a lot of people feel that if the rules were more flexible, more humane, that would actually open floodgates. If you look at the numbers, even before the rules changed in 2012, the number of people who were able to come under the adult dependent relative rules was simply very, very small. 0.007% of the total immigration. It is 0.01% of the total immigration from non-European Union countries. So we're not asking for huge numbers. We're simply asking for the rules to be more flexible, to be more humane, I would like the Home Office to recognize that this is a right of me to be able to look after my parents, particularly when the numbers are so small. And I think we need to acknowledge and respect the contribution that the overseas doctors make into the system and that we are willing to look at options such as a health surcharge, such as no recourse to public funds, just so that the public is reassured that they don't end up being any kind of burden onto the system. And it's got much more benefits to the system. It means that 
we're more settled. There is less outflux of sometimes very highly talented, experienced clinicians at senior posts. You know, you're talking about this friend of mine who unfortunately had to move away was a GP who was well settled into the practice, was a GP partner, was training GPs. So it's not just losing a doctor, it's losing that professional capital that would stop. And I think the credibility of UK as a system, which welcomes the best and the brightest and retains them, that credibility will be regained. And then it won't be as discriminatory because I feel at this moment it discriminates against me, even though I'm a British citizen, it treats me differently from the British citizens who are citizens by birth in this country. You already knew some of this from personal experience, but these are staggering numbers. Was there anything else that you were surprised by since joining the task force? Yeah, I think there has been a lot to learn for me as an individual, as a part of this task force and this campaign. I think one thing I learned is that the impact is so severe, it's simply unthinkable. The system's actually even harder than what I perceived it to be, which makes it even more important for us to campaign for a change. You know, I was not aware that people have gone through lengths to submit a massive amounts of evidence, and yet that evidence is simply not taken its face value, and this is an indefinite lockdown for us as families. I think the other thing I've learned is that actually people are willing to come together, you know, how the two organizations came together and then BMA supported them. People know that this is an issue that is simply very discriminatory and very inhumane, and it does not recognize that simple, basic human right to be able to discharge our filial obligations, to discharge our duties as children to our parents. And that that deprive us of a bond between us as families, that is a given for most other people in this country. You know, my children often ask us that, well, my peers in the class, they've gone to see their grandparents. Can we not do that? And how do I answer them that, am I a second grade citizen in this country? And is that why I'm not able to bring them here? And they're very different conversations. And I worry that this then impacts on them, the second generation, feeling as settled into this country. Since the task force ran its survey, more work has been going on to address the issue. Can you tell me what has been happening and what are the next steps? So in terms of the next steps, we are currently in discussions with fellow organizations and royal colleges and so on, many of who are very supportive of of these conversations because they recognize the impact. Uh, But we have also just written to the Home Office and to the Home Secretary to apprise them of the issue and to open up a dialogue to ask up for flexibility in the rules so that they're not as rigid and they do allow people who genuinely are dependent, who genuinely need to come into the system in a way that is more reflective of the needs of the workforce of the NHS, that is more reflective of the contributions we've made. It's often said, unfortunately, that it seems that we're good enough to die 
be it the pandemic, we're good enough to be in the specialities which have shortages, or we're not good enough to be treated well. And that really hurts, and that really does cause a lot of disquiet. So we're writing to the Home Office, we're garnering support from the fellow organizations, and we will be running a campaign to create more awareness around the issue. And we're hoping that that would start a conversation that will have a positive outcome, but we're willing to go for as long as it takes, and we're willing to continue to make the argument because it is so important. I mean, if you look at it, 40% of the doctors are from overseas, and we're essentially depriving them of some of the very basic needs and givens that our fellow colleagues do not have to face. So we're hoping for a positive outcome. Irfan, you've had first-hand experience of the current rules. What change would you like to see happen? So it's not a huge number we are talking about, but the implications of it and the effect it carries on families is, is harrowing. There are harrowing stories. So what I am asking is that there has to be a consideration to relax the rules. The government wants the best and the brightest to be helping out UK and about 44% of the NHS doctors are from outside UK. So I would be looking for some relaxation in those rules, which have made bringing your old frail parents here virtually possible. And now that uh, we are moving towards the point-based system, it gives us the, the tool to address it in a way which will help uh, and which will motivate the NHS workforce to keep working with the same zeal as they have done. We've seen that during this pandemic. And uh, if this point-based system is used in a clever way, uh, there is an option that these stringent rules, which are very inhumane, can be addressed, can be relaxed to let bring the parents and continue with the same vigor as they've always been for NHS. What about you, Kamal? I think that this is basically depriving us of our very basic human right to be with our parents when they need us, when they have any degree of need from us in terms of the filial obligations, my obligations as their child and somebody who they've invested all their lives in and they're simply left on their own to be neglected and to live in a state of despair and in a state of, you know, being forgotten. And this has huge, huge impact on us, on our mental state and on how we go about our lives in UK, the country which we've adopted as a home country. And you, you kind of constantly feel torn and feel anxious and feel guilty that would like to be fully settled in the system in this country and continue to contribute. But I'm often torn between this state of feeling incomplete in this system and obviously then having to uproot my family and relocate, which will be less than ideal because then I'll have to start from zero again. And I'm not sure my parents would want to see that happen and it'll be a loss to the system. There's massive contributions overseas doctors have made into the NHS and into the wider society. The system gets doctors who've already been trained, and it takes about £250,000 to train a doctor. 
So these are the people who've already saved that level of money for the taxpayer because they've come to work into their system. And then once you come into the system, you fill in rotas, you work in areas often of high demand, often in specialities that are short of doctors and not able to be filled by the UK trained doctors. You pay taxes into the country, you contribute to the economy. And so many of us, so many of my colleagues are involved into contribution to society, to improvements into the system within NHS, participating in community ventures, leading them, charitable work, and so on. So we are British citizens who are contributing in the same way as any other British citizen. And you would expect that we would be at least treated at par with the British citizens. But unfortunately, these rules do not do that. They deprive us of that right. And they're actually discriminatory because they're simply not allowing me to be with my family because of my country of birth, even though I am fully a part of the UK system. I'm a British citizen. My family is here. My children go to school here. My wife works in the system. And we call ourselves British. I worry that something may happen until the rules change. And I dread to think the guilt that I may have to live with. And many of my colleagues already do. And I worry that if the rules don't change, that I would be forced to reconsider my options, uproot my family, and consider a move back to be able to with my parents when they do need me, um, which I think is very disruptive for me as a family, for my children who are quite settled in this system, for my wife who's also a professional and works for the NHS. And it'll be a loss to the system, I believe, if professionals who are needed in the system, particularly when these specialities are in shortage, it'll be a real loss of that talent, the capital, the experience. And, you know, anyone who seeks advice from me whether to move to UK, I would advise them to seriously reconsider given what the system is like. And I'm really hoping that it won't come to that. And I'm really hoping that all the arguments we're making will be heard that the rules will become more flexible and that that would allow people like myself to be able to bring my parents over for us to have a better family life and for us to live in peace. Thank you, Kamal and Irfan. If you have been impacted by these restrictive rules, the BMA's international team and the Doctor magazine would like to hear your story. You can contact the international team on info.international at bma.org.uk and the doctor magazine at thedoctor at bma.org.uk. To find out more about the advice and support we offer to international doctors, go to bma.org.uk slash img services. If you haven't already, you can read the article this audio feature stems from in the January edition of the doctor magazine or at bma.org.uk slash news and opinion slash are your parents at home. You can find all of these links in the track description. Thank you for listening.